imagine what it would feel like to know that you are loved every day, every moment. Imagine. To be honest, I've come into this evening exhausted, tired. I have been feeling nothing. And yet I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that no matter what I feel, that it is true that he says I'm loved when I don't feel a thing because I know in the place where I know, where I don't have to be ruled by emotions. Ladies, have you ever seen a woman who believed the words of her lover? Have you ever seen a woman who believed the words of her lover? When I was a little girl, my family used to love suntanning. We were a beach family. And I remember uh, probably sitting on the warm uh, bricks next to the pool. And my mum and my aunt were suntanning in their little bikinis. My aunt is absolutely ravishingly beautiful woman, uh, nearly as beautiful as my own mom. And, um, and I remember her husband walking past, there she was, probably in her 30s or 40s in her little bikini, and he said, wow, you look gorgeous, babe. And what did she respond? You all know the words, no, I don't. You're lying. I'm sure you've got your own words. They might not be exactly that, but I'm sure they say the same things. Have you ever met a woman who believed in the words of her lover? And I remember as a little girl turning to my aunt and saying, why are you calling your husband a liar? That's, that's so mean. Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you judge his words and say that they are not true? What we have just witnessed, that creative piece has shown us in this world, the, the relationship between man and woman was supposed to be such that it would display the relationship between God and his church, the way that he loves us. And yet, has there ever been a more warped relationship in this world? Throughout history, there has never been a generation where women were not mistreated by men. There's never been a generation where there has not been hurt, where there has not been a downtroddenness where there has not been rape, where there has not been abuse, where there has not been words spoken that are not true. And I know that of this generation, it is the same. There are many, many women here who have been, had words spoken over them, who have been treated in such a way to feel that they are less than, that they are inferior. And some of you have even been treated that way by the church or have been made to feel that way by the church through some subtle way. Ladies, I'm standing here today with these men in front here as leaders of the churches because they have given me permission. They have given me permission to walk into the fullness of all that I am and everything that is God has put into me. And ladies, I want to declare, as I did in the beginning of this evening, that tonight it is open gates. Will you follow me? into the fullness of everything that God has for us because we are getting permission. We are not being called that, ladies, you need to want to be yourselves. Why don't you come together here into the corner where none of the men, none of the society are going to watch you because we are scared that you might display yourself to be too emotional or too sensitive or too powerful or too sexy or too gorgeous or too whatever. 
Here in this room, ladies, the culture of Sisterhood United is that we want you to be everything that you are. You do not need to try and be like a man in order to be released within our culture and within our churches here in Durban. That is what we're standing for. I very purposefully tonight did not wear a, a, a blazer like I did at the last sisterhood because I wanted you to know that you do not have to look like a man. You do not have to have that kind of stature in order to be yourself. You can dress how you want. You can be soft. You can be tender. You can be strong. You can be loud. And do you know what? You are not too talkative. I should probably start my timer <laughs> because I'm not too talkative, right? All right. I wonder if tonight, for the sake of these girls that were on the stage here, I wonder if tonight we could leave here believing that we are loved. I wonder if every lady here could leave here believing they are loved. One of the ladies had a prophetic picture, which is a, a, a word that she felt was from God, um, of a magnifying glass above us tonight. And that as, uh, as I share the word of God with you, that God would be magnified. You would look up and you would see in correct detail the love of God. But I want to dare you tonight to look up through that magnifying at God's love because the other half of her picture was that he would be looking back at you through that magnifying glass, but his eyes would be on fire with love for you, and you know what a magnifying glass does with fire, that you would be set ablaze tonight with love. When Richard uh, started dating me, he was determined to make sure that I knew that I was loved. The one time he made all his flatmates, his housemates, leave the house, and he wanted to put on a romantic surprise dinner for me. So you, can you picture this 20-year-old guy? He, uh, thought, he knew that I liked seafood, so he made a shrimp cocktail starter, if you don't mind, uh, in little champagne glasses, and he set up this cute little table, not much bigger than this, uh, in his lounge because, I mean, they didn't have a dining room. It was a digs. And his lounge with, with uh, two chairs and he had the supper all ready and the oven on perfectly. And there was, we were in Cape Town, so it was a bit chilly. And there was a fireplace in the lounge that so they'd never used the fireplace before. But he decided a romantic dinner would include a fire going. So he tried and he tried and he tried to get this fire going, but he just couldn't get it going. I don't know what was going on. And he tr eventually, eventually he was running out of time and he needed to go. He did do cubs when he was younger. Don't I see you whispering. He knows that a lot of fire. <laughs> But he couldn't get it going, but it was time to go and pick me up. So he went and he picked me up and he blindfolded me so that I wouldn't know what surprise restaurant we were going to. And he drove a funny way to his, uh, to his home. And then um, he didn't drive up the driveway where he normally parks at the back and where everybody goes in the kitchen door. I didn't even know their home had a front door until this day. And um, so he parked on the road with me still blindfolded and he led me over the curb and inside... And as we walked through the door, he took my blindfolds on. We were now in his home. I had no idea where we were because I'd never walked through that door before. And we, as we walked into the lounge, there was a blazing fire in the fireplace. <laughs> and he just said, thank 
you, God. I'm so grateful that you did that. I wonder tonight if we will believe that God would prepare a place for us. Would God go to all that effort to prepare a place for you that would include a fire that would never go out? I don't know what your uh, religion has told you or what decorum has told you is the right way to approach God. Um, There are some very scandalous verses in the Bible, to be honest, about approaching God. Uh, One of them being Song of Songs, 1 verse 2, that says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Let him smother me with kisses, his spirit kiss divine. So kind are your caresses, I drink them like the sweetest wine. Draw me into your heart, we will run away together into the king's cloud-filled chamber. Have you ever longed for an intimate relationship with God? Have you ever longed to know God like this, that that you would have this intimate love relationship with God? I've got good news for you tonight. I've got great news for you tonight. God is closer than you think. God is closer than you think. When Jesus walked this earth, he said and did some pretty crazy things, and then he said that we would walk into those things, that he was showing a new way for us. Some of the things that he said was, uh, he, he acted as though he could see straight into heaven. He would say things like, oh, I only do what I see my father doing, or no, my father is now working, so I am also still working. The one time he even said to a religious leader, Nicodemus, in John 3, he said to him, In fact, let me read it because I would like to use the right words. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man who is currently in heaven. It's a little bit confusing. He was standing on earth and he said, the Son of Man is currently in heaven. As I stand here, I am in heaven. It was quite a strange thing. He seemed to be living in a duality of being in heaven, certainly being able to see into heaven while he was on earth. If you remember when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were torn open and the Spirit of God came down upon him like a dove and God spoke from the heavens saying, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. And the whole time while Jesus was on earth, he was preaching a new message that had never been preached before that was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is closer than you think. He seemed to be saying, your old ideas about heaven, they don't stand anymore. Something new is coming. So we need to understand what was their old ideas of heaven. Who was he speaking to? He's obviously speaking to the Jews. And at that time, the Jews did not believe that they could enter the presence of God at all. So their temple was where the presence of God was, uh, and it was the whole structure was designed to show how holy and set apart the presence of God was. There was an outer court with huge big brass gates, and you and me, most of us not being Jewish, would be able to go in only into the outer courts. If you were a Jew, one of God's chosen people, then you could go through another set of gates still outside and be in the inner courts. That is where sacrifices were made, uh, cleansings were done. The priests would go through a ceremonial washing before entering the actual building. 
Now, if they would go through the doors into the building, they were then in the, the holy place. But within that building, there was a room, the most holy place, separated only by a veil, a temporary curtain. Nobody was allowed in there. That was for the presence of God. Once a year, the most high priest would go in there to make an offering, and the whole time he would be sprinkling blood. He would be sprinkling the blood of, of lambs and goats in order to make a sacrifice. Everything in there, there was a mercy seat in there, a throne for God in there. It was his throne room, and everything would have been sprinkled with year after year of blood. Nobody went in there to wash it. The whole place was covered in blood, and that was the place where heaven and earth met. It was the only place on earth where heaven was, where God's presence dwelled, but nobody was allowed there. Now, we're in the habit of... Um, of using models of architecture in order to show things. We use role-playing in order to show things. We let little, little kids play house in order to learn, uh, learn how to do house. Obviously, little girls and boys love to play baby dolls. Uh, my little girls had live baby dolls because we had a lot of boys after we had our two little girls. Uh, and I remember Kiara, she was three years old when our second baby was born, and I left him for literally 30 seconds, isn't it always? And uh, heard him screaming. I came through and she picked him up off his mat and then dropped him again. Newborn baby. And I said to her, Kiara, he's not a doll. She said, I'm sorry, mommy, I forgot. <laughs> Kiara well, did love looking after our baby dolls. I remember when she went into grade R uh, was the first time she went off to school and we were having our third baby and a third baby boy, fifth baby, um, in December, just before she went and she said, oh, mommy, you're going to have to manage this baby all on your own. I've got school. <laughs> we, we, we use role playing and modeling in order to show what things are supposed to be like so that, so that we can learn and we can understand. God is the same. He gives us models. He gives us illustrations for us to be able to understand. This temple was an illustration. It was a model of something. This temple, have you ever noticed that all the sacrifices they did, they still weren't allowed into the presence of God? Every lamb, every goat, every sacrifice that happened, it was just a showing of what would need to happen if ever anyone was allowed to pass that curtain and enter into the presence of the living and holy God. Now Jesus, Jesus, scandalous Jesus. He's forever changing things and, and causing cities to be turned upside down, isn't he? So Jesus showed a different way. Hebrews, uh, which is a writer who is explaining to, to the Jews why Jesus has changed everything, says this to them in Hebrews 8. Your priests serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you have made everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain because you're making a model. It needs to be made to exact specifications. If it was the first temple to be made, the specifications wouldn't have been so important, but it wasn't the first. It was a model of something that already existed. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not the one made with hands that was here on earth, he entered once and for all into the holy places, 
not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are just copies of the true things, but he's entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. We were never allowed into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. But when Jesus was on earth, he showed a very strange thing when he said those things, the son of man who is in heaven even while he's on earth, because the Holy of Holies was not the only place where heaven and earth collided. Heaven and earth collided in the body of Jesus. As Jesus walked around the earth, he literally was heaven on earth. Everywhere he walked, heaven existed. While on earth, with suffering, with the pain, but with the presence of God, with the holiness, with the healing ability, with the miracles, with everything that was available in heaven in his body. Hebrews goes on to explain to us that when Jesus died, the veil was torn from top to bottom because his body was the veil. His body was the veil, and as he was torn, heaven flooded into earth. Everywhere that Jesus' blood flows, everywhere that Jesus' blood goes, heaven and earth collide today. And that is why. And that is why we want to invite those ladies who have never heard of this before to say tonight, I want to be washed in the blood of Jesus. I want the blood of Jesus as that veil is torn. I want him to wash over me because only what his blood has touched is made holy. Only what the blood was sprinkled on in that holy place where the golden throne was, only that place was holy. How does that affect the way we live today? Hebrews says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Ladies, we live in the holy place. We live there. Whatever you did today, whether you were washing dishes or doing lifts, whether you were feeling loved, whether you were angry, whether you were sinning, you were standing on the blood of Jesus. If you have walked through that veil, that is where you live your life. So many of us live it facing away from the seat the mercy seat. So many of us live right here. We've entered into the veil and we're living here and we're saying, oh, I wish, I wish I could know the presence of God. I wish I could experience his presence. You know, I believe that everything that God has instated in this earth that is good, every relationship, every creation, it is all to show you a way. Have you ever thought that when the descriptions in the Bible come of a, a groom and a bride or a, a mother and a child or a, a hen and her chicks, have you ever thought that maybe God is not looking around for an illustration to describe his love? Maybe he made them as a demonstration to show his love. 
Maybe those things are really made intentionally and maybe it's not just an analogy. Maybe it's a demonstration showing you a way to experience God's love. If I were to define myself, and I know this is a very bold statement and it can cause pain to many people in this room, but if I were to tell you who I am, if you want to know who is Jackie, I would have to say to you, I'm a woman well-loved. I am a woman well-loved. That is who I am. It's how I think. It's how I go about my day. I am well-loved. I have had the incredible privilege of being loved by a husband. That's starting off with that fireplace that God set ablaze. He has daily made sure that I know his love. Constantly, I love you. Do you remember that I love you? You are beautiful. You are wonderful to me. I love you. I need you. I like to hear your voice. Tell me what you think. Day after day after day. And ladies, like 99.9% of the women in this room, I struggle to believe it. I struggle to believe what he said about me. I struggle to believe in the words of my lover. A very <laughs> funny reason why I finally stepped into and w went over the line of believing in his love was when I started to notice secret sacrifices that he'd made for me. I'll give you one. In our family, uh, in our culture, rugby is right up there as a very, very important thing, okay? My husband was actually a professional uh, in, in the rugby world, and so rugby was, was really a dem, demi, demigod. <laughs> I remember the first day that I heard from somebody else that Richard had missed watching a Springbok game because he was with me. He didn't tell me that. I heard from somebody else. They said to him, how, do, how was that game? And he said, no, we didn't watch yesterday. Why not? He said, no, I've got, I had other things to do. And he chose me. He started, it might be a very small sacrifice, but it was a sacrifice. And I noticed little things like that. And I started to believe in his love. I started to think, this guy really does love me. But it was risky to believe in his love because like you, I had been hurt before. Like many of you, I had been lied to before. I actually also had a boyfriend once who thought that it was entertaining to throw me around and kick me when I was on the floor. I, was also, I also experienced that kind of crazy relationship that should never be. But this man showed me a different way but that's, that Song of Songs verse that I read in the beginning, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Let him. Let him. Eventually, I had to choose whether or not I was going to surrender. Would I surrender to his love? Would I let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth? Would I trust in his words? Because it was a scary thing to do. But I decided to do it, and he never let me down. But the reason that I'm telling you this is not to make you jealous. <laughs> the reason that I'm telling you this is because what Richard showed me became a gateway, a demonstration to me of what God could be for me. He became a, a model for me of what God wanted to do for me. And I remember the day when I decided to let God. I remember the day I had been a Christian for many, many years when I decided to risk believing in the passionate 
love of God. It was an, a, an evening very similar to this, actually. And I remember coming up to the front and asking somebody to pray for me. And I remember being completely overwhelmed. It felt like, it felt like, like I drank sweet wine going through to my fingertips, up to my eyeballs. I don't know how to explain it properly. This is the best description I could find for you in Song of Songs. Suddenly he transported me into his house of wine. He looked upon me with his unrelenting love divine. My knees went weak. It says, shall revive me with your raisin cakes. Refresh me again with your apples. Help me and hold me, for I am lovesick. I am longing for more, yet how could I take more? His left hand cradles my head, while his right hand holds me close. I'm at rest in his love. Ladies, I'm telling you this because I want it to be a gateway for you. That is what God's asked me to do tonight. He said to me, my mandate for tonight is, Jackie, you have stepped through the veil into my presence, and you've chosen to believe in my love. Will you tell them so that they can too? It is for you to experience the intoxicating love as well as the sustained love that I felt today when I didn't feel a thing, but I still knew. It is for all of that love that I'm telling you this today. I believe that everything that God gives us is for us to learn more about him. Every taste. Why did he create taste buds and then give us so many different kind of tastes and say, taste and see that the Lord is good? Why did he create sensation on our skin and then encourage us to get married and teach us how to caress and how to kiss? Why? Is it taboo? We cannot talk about that in church. That's not for God and you. That's, that's just, I mean, why did he create it then? He created it because he wants to love you in every way, through your taste buds, through your nerve endings, through your ears, through your heart. He wants you to feel him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his presence tonight in every possible way. That's why he gives you these sensations. They are all to lead you into his presence, into an intoxicating and a sustained love, into all of it. Will you believe it? Will you let him won't you tell me how to find you, O lover of my soul? It is you that I long for with no veil between us. While Richard was trying to convince me of his love, he, uh, he, we were married for a few years, and he came across a contact uh, of a rose farmer. And so he decided to order a bunch of roses 10 roses, I think it was, to be delivered to our home, to my front door, every Friday, every week. And this went on for about two years. And now all of you are thinking, wow, that's effort. Do you know what I thought? I thought... It didn't really count because he thought of it once and then he set up a stop order. <laughs> and really, it was me that had to meet the guy at the front door and cut the stems of the roses and throw out the old ones and put them in the vase. <laughs> I, it's okay, I can see you judging me hard. I don't care. <laughs> because I wonder how many times you've done the same thing to God. I wonder how many sunrises you've watched and thought, 
Ah, you set that into place years ago. You weren't thinking of me. I wonder how many shades of trees you've sat in and thought, this is not for me. Like Jonah, this is not for me. I had a pot plant outside my home for a while and I planted a couple of petunias in it. You know, every single time it was a special occasion or I was having guests or it mattered, the petunias flowered. Every single time. And I wonder whether you would have noticed that God was giving you flowers. I wonder whether you would have noticed that God was giving you flowers or whether you take your gifts and you think, ah, I have to cut the stems. Thank you for these amazing uh, children, but that I have to work with. Thank you for this incredible wardrobe. I can't believe I have to tidy it. I can't believe that I have to wash these dishes. I can't believe that I have to cook this food. I wonder how many of you did like me. But you were judging me hard, but that's okay. Now turn it on yourself. Will you allow Jesus to love you like a bride this evening? Loved like a bride. I want you to walk through a few different scenarios. The first one is this. Will you allow Jesus to love you like you are his bride this evening? The second one is this, that you are loved like a child. Everybody knows that the love of a mother is pretty up there in terms of righteous, heavenly, fierce, passionate love. Am I right? It's very heavenly love. When, um, when we were pregnant with our first baby, Kiara, where I was on the way to hospital, as we drove out the gate, I mean, it was all perfect. I'd stopped to shave my legs. I'm in labor. Let's go have a cup of tea. Stopped at the gate, and the moon was in a crescent shaped, shaped up like this, which to me means that God is smiling at me. So I got my camera and took the first photo of the day, of the night. It was three in the morning. God's smiling at us so special. Go off, get into the, into the whatever you call that, delivery room. Uh, the doctor arrives looking very much like a butcher with white gumboots and full white overalls. Not ideal. My husband, he wanted, uh, he wanted us to have a big baby so that he could be super proud of me because he'd noticed that, uh, that there was a bit of a thing with women in terms of how big was your baby and did you have an epidural and how did that go? So he was like, I want my wife to be the strongest. Come on. But uh, Kiara was absolutely tiny, so that didn't really work. He's a little bit competitive. Um, so she was this tiny little baby girl. And while the doctor was standing there in his gumboots, and they'd strapped these monitors to my tummy so that they could uh, measure her heart beat while, while it was going to make sure that she was safe. And I was trying so hard, and I was pushing, and it was, nothing was happening. And the baby was crowning. And I'm um, sorry, guys. And... Um, <laughs> Work with me, yeah? And uh, you've all, all of your fathers. Um, and uh, the, the baby was crowning, and the doctor said, All right, this is it, push her out. And I, couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And the next one, the doctor says, All right, you, you really need to push her out on this one. And I, I tried, and I just couldn't do it. Eventually, he looked up at me and he said, Jackie, your baby's heart rate has gone down to 30. She is crowning. It is too late to have a Caesar. You have to push her out on this push. Wow, you tell a mom that. I was 25 years old, never been a mom before, but I fought for that little girl. I pushed so hard that I burst blood vessels in both my eyes. My eyes were bloodshot. My face was covered in a rash of the capillaries that had burst in my face. I was not going to let that baby die for anything. 
and she came out a healthy baby girl screaming her lungs out with pink, pink lips. I loved her with a passionate, sacrificial love. A few weeks later, we were at a restaurant with some of our friends. Uh, we'd gone out for dinner after church. We were the only ones with a baby. And her pram was parked just behind my, my chair. She was fast asleep. We were having a fun evening. The boys at our table were joking with the boys at another table. They were sending each other the bill and teasing each other, 20-year-old humor. And um, one of the boys at the table over there thought that it would be funny to play a joke on the boys here by removing my pram. He was not trying to hurt me. He was trying to play a joke on the men. I did not notice that she was missing for 10 minutes. When I did notice, I realized immediately that it was a joke. And then I burst into tears and I cried for days and days and days as I realized that I had not noticed for 10 minutes that my baby had been gone. We are imperfect mothers, and yet we love passionately. And I remember that same baby girl lying on a table not long ago and wondering to myself if I wanted her to make it. There was parts of me, obviously, that would do anything for her, but yet there was a part of my mind that considered what it would be like for me, what I wanted, what I would feel like nursing a little girl as she grew up and went through puberty in a coma. I know some of you have experienced, like me, where you look into your heart and you have the passionate love of a mother, whether or not you have children, <laughs> whether that is a longing or whether it, is a, whether it is a passion that has come to be, and yet there is also the selfishness. And there's this part of you that is imperfect. There's this part of you that, that gets irritated with your kids. There's a part of you that doesn't want to have kids. There's a part of you that thinks that it would be too hard, but you've got both. Tonight, I wonder if we can understand that the part that is righteous, that is the part that is like God. That is the part that is like God. We confuse who God is because we're mixed up with who we are. We have part, this righteous passion that would die for their child. And then this part that says, eh, do I want to care for her for the rest of her days? We have both. But God has only one. He is only good. His love for you is only pure. It is only the passionate love that you've experienced. It is only the passionate love that you have witnessed. You may not have experienced a love relationship like mine, but let it be a gateway. You may not have experienced the love of a mother, but let it be a gateway as you know it, as you see it. Let it take you into God's love tonight. He wants you to experience his love in all of these ways. Ladies, when he says you loved, you are loved like a bride. You are loved like a child. And one more thing, you are loved like the begotten. You are loved like the begotten. In Song of Songs, it has the audacity, the craziness to say, with one glance of your eyes, I am undone by your love, my beloved, my equal, my bride, my sister, my bride. How could it be that this word has Jesus calling us his sister and his equal? 
Jesus has put you on equal footing with him. When he bled on that floor, when he opened his body to you, he said, come in. Come into where I am. Hide yourself in me. When God looks at you, let him see me. He wants to share his glory with you. He has said, Father, I have given them the glory that you have given me. He wants to share his throne with you. In Revelation, it says to the victorious, I will give the opportunity to sit with me on my throne. Loved like the begotten. I don't know if you've experienced this before because... Adoption is not that common today. And looking from the outside, I've noticed that most people don't understand it because even very well-meaning people will say to me, I've got two of our children entered our home through adoption, will say to me, oh, you have seven children. How many of them are your own? They are all my own. I, I don't understand. In our home, adopted is not an adjective. Adopted is a past tense verb. Can I explain that for those who are not English muffins? <laughs> An adjective describes something. You uh, are a, a big person or, or a hot sun. It is a descriptive word. Adopted does not describe the kind of children I have. It does not describe any of them. None of them look adopted. But it is a past tense verb. It did happen. They were adopted. That is how they entered our family. We do not have adopted children. We have children that were adopted. Does that make sense? Now, if you've experienced that, and I'm, I'm giving you the permission to, to experience that through our family, if you have not experienced that yourself, then you will understand that it is bizarre to those of us who are living in the situation to be asked how many of our, the children are our own. It is bizarre to our children to be, to be given the adjective adopted. I remember when, uh, when Jada was about 13 years old, uh, we adopted Samuel. And many people were asking her, Jada, because you are an adopted child, how do you think Samuel feels? Explain to us. And she came to me because, thankfully, Jada is a highly intelligent, a highly emotionally astute person. She came to me and she said, Mommy, I do not understand why people seem to be grouping me in a group with Samuel. We are not very similar. I don't understand why they've put us into a separate category. And because she was able to communicate that with me, she had never thought of herself as an adopted child. It had never occurred to her that there was a category for children in our family who were adopted. Okay, we do have boys and girls. We have those categories. We have big kids and small kids and the middle kids who kind of wish to be big kids some days and small kids some days. But we don't have adopted and unadopted categories in our family. And I was able to take her into my arms and say, Jada Grace, you are not an adopted child. Do you know that? And she said, yes, mommy, I knew that. It's just that people were saying, and I didn't understand what, what they were meaning. Loved like the begotten. Can you understand that? Can you understand that God could honestly look at you? And it could make no difference. I remember Bill Cosby used to say, I've got four kids, two of them are adopted. I can't remember which two. Down. Thank you. Why 
is it so important? I was asking God this question. Why is it so important for the ladies to understand this message? On Monday, um, I, was, I just spent the whole day, I took the day off of work, and I just spent the day praying for you, and I said, God, why is it important for them to understand that they can step through the veil? Why is it important for them to understand that they are living in the holy place? Why is it important for them to understand that they can relate to you as lover, as friend, as deliciousness, as father? Why is it important? And while I was praying for that, I uh, had my kids in the car, and I was dropping Cade off at rugby practice. And as I was parked, I pulled off onto the verge, and I parked my car, and uh, Cade jumped out of the car, and I saw that by the way he jumped with his head down, he was so super excited that he was going to bolt across the road without looking. But my windows were closed. And as he jumped out, I just saw he was like, cheers, mom, and he ran in front of my car, and there was a car coming, and he, was, and he jumped into the road, and thank God I had electric windows, and I pushed them down. His and I said, Cade, Cade, stop, Cade. And he heard me, and he stopped one foot, and he stepped back. And God said to me, that is why it is so important that the ladies know that there is no veil between me and them. There is no window between me and them. There is no barrier between me and them. There are countless times this day that I've reached through to my children and disciplined them and told them why they were about to step into danger and loved them and touched them when they needed to be touched and spoken to them and explained things to them. There are countless times that I stepped through into their worlds just today. And there are countless times that God stepped through into my world just today. There are countless times when my attention was turned, standing on the blood, turned to the mercy seat, and I could say, God, and he could talk to me. He could teach me. He could explain to me. He could pull me out of danger. He could reach into my identity and tell me why he loved me. He could reassure me. He could tell me what to say tonight. There were countless times that it was essential to my well-being that there was no veil between us. Ladies, tonight there is an invitation. Song of Songs is an invitation to you to enter in to his presence. Arise, my dearest, it says. Hurry, my darling, and come away with me. I have come as you have asked, to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended, and the season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers. There is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place, for now is the time to come away with me. But ladies, this, this heavenly place is on earth. It is on earth. 
And it is through a mountain of suffering that he has made it available. And it is through identifying with his suffering that we are able to step through the curtain. I want to read to you something that I wrote on the 27th of December while sitting next to my daughter's hospital bed when we thought that she would be passing away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've never withheld anything from you. My hands have always been open. Why would you ask this of me? Why would you ask of me the child who made me a mother? You know, even now she is yours. I am holding nothing back from you. Oh God, my God, the sacrifice is overwhelming. And the bridegroom king told me, listen, my dearest darling, you are so beautiful. You are beauty itself to me. What devotion I see. Each time I gaze upon you, you are like a sacrifice ready to be offered. You still my mind, Jesus. Breathe deep. I am surrounded by love, I know. And I answered, my bridegroom king, I've made up my mind. Until the darkness disappears and the dawn has fully come, in spite of shadows and fears that you might have, I will go to the mountaintop with you the mountain of suffering love, I say, yes, I will be your bride. I will unite with you in suffering and join my life, heart and soul, to yours. Ladies, in your experience of love, would you step through the suffering? Would you step through the, the, the torn and broken veil? Would you identify with his suffering and say, yes, Will you say yes and come with me through the veil as I have stepped through? Will you come with me and arise? Song of Songs 4, four verse 16. And would you stand up as I read this over you, please? Then may your awakening breath blow upon my life until I am fully yours. Breathe upon me with your spirit wind. Spare nothing, God. Hold nothing back of you until I am fully yours. We give ourselves to you tonight, Lord God. We lift up our hearts to you, God, and we want to step through the veil into your love. We want to live in the most holy place, God. We want to live in the most holy place, identifying with your suffering, trusting in your love, God. Even when we are afraid, we will rise up the mountaintop with you, past the shadows and fears, and we will say, let him, let him smother me with kisses.